It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to the Basu and Gade Notebook on December 4th, uh, 2023. I am Marc-Antoine Gade, and with me, I have the guy who owes me two beers. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, yeah. that, 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 that didn't even last long enough for the podcast to be published. I think the, the news on Montembeau's contract came out before this podcast came out. So from the time yeah. we said it on Thursday night to the time it was announced on Friday. So congratulations, I owe you a couple of beers. Excuse the noise in the background. I'm at the Bell Center high above in the press box. After the Canadians morning skate, the Seattle Kraken are getting in their final skates now. So you hear the sounds of hockey in the background. Apologies for that. But um, it's a game day, so we got to do what we can to get this podcast out to you, our loyal listeners and viewers. Um, That's right. But yeah, yes. let's start with let's start with Sam Montembeau. Let's for sure start there because I think I think a lot of what we said in the last episode kind of got confirmed, mm-hmm. and especially with Ken Hughes talking on on Saturday morning, um, kind of referring to sample size and some of the things that I think he low-key hinted at were some of the concerns the Canadians had, but some of the good things is that the consistency in his performance, which you mentioned in the last episode, and, and just how he does not... I mean, I looked at it in writing my piece on sat on Friday. Um, so tonight's his 10th... Well, so tonight's his 10th start. If you're listening to this after Monday, then the, the cracking game was his 10th start of the year. Of his first nine starts, seven of them, he had a save percentage of 900 or high. So... Yeah. That's one stat that I kind of like to look at in terms of, you know, save percentages and everything, but over a larger sample, it does generally give you a sense of whether a goalie performed up to his standards or not. Um, I think Sam has done that in every, uh, in every way this season. And even at the end of last over, over last season, a lot of fans blame the Canadians having the, the fifth overall pick on Sam Montembeau. And I don't think it's misplaced. I think they probably would have picked a little higher had it not been for this guy. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that, that. Yeah, I don't know if Kent read my article, but I mentioned when he when Monty signed that uh, he was first in the NHL at five on five among all the goalies who played ten games, ten games or more, both in goal against average and and uh, especially safe percentage. So I think that we're getting into a zone here where I, I think the Canadians have in Samuel Montembeau a guy that they can be confident with, that they can trust, especially five-on-five. Five. I think there's still improvement to come uh, on the PK. But five-on-five, five, I mean, he's really de- delivered. But one thing of note, though, and it's interesting because uh, I dug the numbers and I, I saw on Natural Stat Trick, you know, that they, they have the 
average uh, shooting distance, the average shot distance that the goalies face. Yep. And among all those goalies that, uh, that that had played 10 games or more at the time that he signed, Monty's the one that had mm-hmm. that was facing the the shots from the furthest distance, which was not the case with Jake Allen. So oh. basically, they've been, the Canadians have done a better job with Montembeau in net at keeping the opponent mm-hmm. outside. They obviously there's been odd man rushes, there's been turnovers. Obviously, we, we, we he saved their ass more than uh, more than once. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But on average, the the distance of shots from the opponent of five on five, it's been rather big. So it, I, I think it's a, it's a good sign. Obviously, Montembeau's benefited from that, but it's a sign that defensively, they might not be as far uh, as we think they are, at least in their defensive zone management. It's really in puck management and feeding the transition of the opponent that exposed the team is the, the most. But it, it really struck me because Jake Allen has not benefited from that at all. That's it. That yeah, was my I'm always reluctant to kind of. I think, I think. Well, I think that's. There is some. Uh, I'm always reluctant to kind of make too much of of like statistical differences between, of how the team is playing in front of either goalie because it's just like it's. Sometimes it's just random, um, and yeah. I don't know what uh, Sam Montembeau could have done to to lead to that. I do know that he is. Um, Oh, actually, no, that's changed. Because I thought, oh, no, he's still perfect. Long-range shots. He has faced 65 long-range shots, according to NHL Edge data, and has not allowed a goal from okay. distance. Um, yeah, mid-range, still 931 mid-range, which is well above league average. It's really in the high danger um, yeah. that he is below league average. He's well below 50th percentile. And so... Um, so listen, he's not he's not a perfect goalie. If he were a perfect goalie, he'd be getting an eight year contract with eight million dollars a year, and that's you know, that's but I had a chance to talk to uh to Jake Allen after the game Saturday yeah. about him. And you know, this is uh yeah, it's in my notebook today, but it's 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 just kind of like he is just so he's the anti goalie. He's just he's just such a down to earth normal person, such a non goalie and, and you know, just and so him talking about Sam and like he mentioned, you know, some of the things that, that he's really impressed with by him. And one of them, I thought, you know, he's, he, is that he's learned how to be big. You know, he's learned how to, and this is something that Caden Primo is going to have to learn, but he's learned how to really benefit and use his size. Uh, mentioned how deep he plays. He's yeah. still able to get there, how good of a skater he is. Um, but said that the main thing is that he's consistent with his game plan. And I found that, he, and he said, he, I don't mean goals against, I don't mean he's consistent in his performance, is that he's consistent in his approach and how he, and he approaches game. And I remember Nick Suzuki was talking Saturday morning about how Sam Montembeau on a game day and Sam Montembeau on a day he's not playing are two completely different people. You have the happy-go-lucky sort of good personality Sam Montembeau when he knows he's not playing. Uh, but on the days he is playing, he's super dialed in, focused, intense. And it's kind of that, the two sides of Sam's personality that I think allow him to uh, to handle the pressure of the, of the position in Montreal. And, and, you know, he doesn't exactly have huge expectations either, but he has big expectations of himself and is just uh, a really chill guy. You know, <laughs> like yeah. it's really, it's, it's, 
you know, I've had, I've had over the last month, I think three different conversations about this contract stuff. And yeah, he mentioned it was kind of on the back of his mind, but like, wasn't really letting him, he wasn't allowing himself to get overly focused on it or, or stressed out about it or whatever. And I think that's that approach whenever he's not playing and not overthinking things and not overanalyzing what he's doing. Um, I think that's really beneficial to him. So, and it's worth noting that the term here is what got this contract to the finish line. You know, I think I had mentioned on the last episode how the, I thought the term was going to be an issue because if I were Sam Montable, as an impending UFA, I would have looked for more than three years of term. Like, honestly, like I think he was justified in, in sometimes this is your one shot at it. You know, like when you're yeah. a 27-year-old UFA um, where getting a five-year deal as a, as a goaltender would not be outrageous. You'd be 32 and you could even maybe sign another one if things go well. But looking for a five-year term is something that I thought maybe Sam would want without having actually talked to him about it or without him having telling me told me that. Um, so him accepting the three-year term um, and expect, accepting a salary that's below Jake Allen's, uh, you know, I think those were two pretty major concessions from Sam and, and showed the extent to which he really wanted to stay here because I think those both those things were – was to some extent a line in the sand for the Canadians. They they did not want to go too long and they did not want to go too much money because they, they, they're still, I don't want to say skittish, but and they're not doubting Sam by any stretch, but it's just that with the sample size um, that he's had so far, it's difficult to judge what he will be over the next five years. It's difficult to judge what he'll be over the next three years. So that there was some, I think some caution exercise there. And I think Sam accepting that this was the reality in dealing with the Canadians and not being tempted by the UFA market and, and hoping to get a Corpus Allo like contract or even Jack Campbell before that, you know, from some other team, because it wasn't going to come from Montreal. Um, so I think the, the terms that he accepted showed the extent to which he wanted to stay in Montreal, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, you compare You know, you compare Montembeau, let's say, to Corpissalo, I understand because of the, either the amount of uh, of work or the, 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 the caliber of goalie that, that he can. But the, the, the biggest issue for Montembeau was the fact that this three-goalie rotation makes it so that if it is to get, you know, if it was to extend to any period of time uh, over the course of the season, it would it would not enable him to gather the statistics that would convince other teams to lend him a long, longer term contract. If he was assured in, you know, based on the, the, the actual setup in net for Montreal, that he would be playing 40 to 50 games, then it would be easier. They, you talk mm -hmm. about, you keep talking about sample size. Well, other teams would look at how he performs this year and say, okay, we're comfortable offering him four or five years with, with three goalies. You won't, you won't get those cumulative stats and that, that amount of games that would really comfort the other teams. They, some might, some w might have been convinced with him, but it was a gamble that I think that they were not entirely comfortable to take. So that's why resorting to three years, staying in Montreal the way that he wanted. And ultimately after those, those three years, he's going to be still good enough. I mean, if he's still going on this upward tra trajectory, After those three seasons, he'll still be young enough to go after a three or four year contract 
And in the meantime, he can continue to prove himself, mm -hmm. be part of the rebuild. And even though there's no no trade clause in uh, in his deal, there's there's an handshake agreement that he's not going to be moved during during that uh, during that period. We'll see if it's going to be respected, but there's a mutual agreement that he's going to be in nets for them to you know bring the team to the the next phase of their development and their their rebuild. So. I think that we tend to picture the fact that because he was destined to, he was eligible to free agency at the end of the season, he might have um, the, you know, the bigger end of the stick, but it's such a crapshoot with goalies. You never know what you're going to get. You know, you might mm -hmm. end up thinking, oh, there's going to be a good market for me, but we, it, it's really difficult to, to, pre, to project and to predict how things are going to turn out. So I think that they, they found a range where both parties were, We're comfortable with what was presented. And you, you talk about yeah. both sides of Montembeau's personality. There's also the fact that I think that he's got a good personality for Montreal. And it's not true for every player. It's not true for, well, for I mean, every yeah. local player either, uh, especially. But mm -hmm. he's in, the, he's in those, that, that group of guys like Steve Bégin, like Philippe Dano, guys who let the pressure sort of... of you know, uh, slide on their skin, you know, and they don't get too, uh, too uh, rattled by it. Other local players, it's a different story. It's a tougher thing to manage on a daily basis. But Montembeau has really shown a great uh, level of comfort in this market. So when you are asked to play in nets for the Montreal Canadiens, that's really important. So I think it's, uh, it's a good deal for both. Uh, let's move on to, yeah, uh, to the good, next topic. Yeah, go ahead. Well, just it's just funny that when you said the whole three goalie situation and impacting his potential marketability in UFA, it would be funny if they put Caden Primo on waivers now that the contract's been settled. <laughs> yeah. Well, that the thing yeah. though is that uh, I think that they were. I wouldn't say that they were waiting for the contract to be resolved to to untie the knot, but that's definitely a component. There was there had to be some sort of insurance about medium to long term plans. You know, say okay, well at least mm -hmm. we we're we're securing one of our guys. We know where we stand. Then it's it doesn't become a decision of which one of the three are we getting rid of, uh, but it's it, we're down to two goalies, and now it's going to be are are we keep trying to move uh, Jake Allen or we take the chance of sending Primo uh, down to, and, and to, to which point do you think that right now at this point in the season with how things have evolved around the league, do you think it would be more or less likely that Primo would be picked up if he was put on waivers now? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think it's, it's as likely as it always was. I think okay. it's, uh, there's, there's enough teams out there that are getting really bad goaltending. Um, that's kind of sinking them a little bit uh, where I feel it would, I think the risk is still, is still there. I don't think it's greater. I don't think it's less. It's, it's, it's just there. Like if you can get a goalie for free and, and see if you can catch, you know, lightning in a bottle, there's a lot of teams out there who would give it a shot. And it's, I'm not just talking about Edmonton. I think there's, there's a bunch of teams that would try it, you know? And so it's, Well, Monday's opponent for Montreal are not, sure. not exactly benefiting from stellar goaltending, huh? The Seattle Kraken? No, they have the for... worst. They have the worst. They have the worst goal saved above expected in the league, or at least they yeah. did as of December 3rd. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, Carolina's getting poor goaltending. Philly's getting poor goaltending. Jersey's getting poor goaltending. And Jersey, it's not getting talked enough about just how floundering the New Jersey Devils are right now. Listen, a lot of people consider these guys a dark horse Stanley Cup contender, and yeah. it's not going well. You know, I mean, they've had injuries, obviously. It's not just the goaltending, but um, their season is not going well at all, and goaltending is a part of it. It's not all of it, but it's a part of it. They have they have injuries, as I mentioned. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, there are teams, several of them, where, where goaltending is an issue where I think – they wouldn't necessarily look at Primo as a solution, like a, 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 an ironclad solution, I should say. Uh, but they would look at him as a possible solution. Like, what do they have to lose? You claim him on waivers, you play him a couple of times. Does he actually, does he, does he, does he catch fire? Does he get them a few, get them on a winning streak? It's worth a shot. So I, I, I don't think it might even be higher than it was at the beginning of the season. Cause I think some of those teams, that I just mentioned, did not expect, especially the one the Canadians are playing tonight, especially Seattle, did not expect to have such poor goaltending. And and Carolina being another one, I mean, it's, and these are, you know, Carolina especially. And now suddenly Philly is kind of in the playoff mix and like maybe they would want to bring back a primo to Philadelphia. Um, and, That'd be a good story, uh, right? So yeah, I think... The, I think the likelihood, yeah, that would be a pretty cool story, but I, I think the likelihood is still quite high. And I, frankly, the Canadians aren't going to allow that to happen. I think that's been made clear, and Ken Hughes pretty much said so on Saturday that you know they're not willing to lose Caden Primo on waivers, so this situation might continue indefinitely until they can find a solution, but waivers, Primo on waivers is not going to be one of them. I was basically joking that they would put him on waivers because of the multiple contract, but mm -hmm. uh, you're right to say that that the contract status of Sam Montabo was a big factor in how they were managing the three goalie situation. So now that, that now that that factor's gone, maybe looking for a solution that makes life easier on the goalies um, is uh, they're more motivated to do so. Yeah. And I, Because I think that instead of just being an asset management situation, you know? Yeah. I think it, when you uh, when you look, you mentioned those teams that needed better goaltending, and they're actually considered good teams. Carolina, New Jersey, Kraken had a great mm -hmm. season last year. Uh, you could add the Minnesota Wild too. Well, those teams, if they were looking for an upgrade in 
in net. They would not go to an unproven youngster that is not no. convincing the Montreal Canadiens, who are a bottom third team, uh, that he can be their number two goalie yet. They're not absolutely convinced with that. So I think that if those teams are to be in discussions with Montreal regarding a goalie, it would make more sense to me that they'd be looking at Jake Allen rather than Prim. So oh, if course. I had to in bet... A trade of, in a trade, of course. Yeah. I'm talking about waivers. Yeah. This is that's no, a two completely different thing. Yeah. For sure. But if it's not one, it's the other. So I think that in yeah. the, the likelier option, in my view, is that if I had to bet, I would say that the Canadians would finish the season with Montembeau as their starter, Primo as their backup, and either in an Allen trade or in another trade, they're going to find a guy that's a better option in Laval than the two guys that they currently have a guy that they could call up in case of an injury, but who's less likely for one reason or another to be picked up via waivers, maybe because he's carrying too big a salary. You know, you look at the Seattle, they've buried the contract of uh, Chris Dreger. Um, he's a guy that obviously you put him on waivers, nobody will claim him because it's it's hampering your your salary cap uh, portfolio or your envelope. Means, but, for Mon yeah. but for Montreal, having a guy like that in Laval, And being able to call him up, that'd be good. So, I mean, someone like wouldn't cost anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, to <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, Casey DeSmith, you know, he found in himself a nice niche. But there, there, I would say there are certainly two or three goalies. Uh, you know, uh, the Oilers yeah. are, are. We hear that the Oilers are interested in bringing Jack Campbell back uh, from Bakersfield. In the meantime, they've had Calvin Picard acting as a number two goalie. Calvin Picard's another guy, in my view, that's that could fit in that role because they need they need to have a, a security blanket as a number three. Primo cannot be that guy anymore because you cannot send him down, but you cannot carry go three goalies forever. Hence, you need to have an upgrade in Laval and a guy who's unlikely to be picked up on waivers. Those guys, they can be acquired via trade. So uh Yeah, I, I think that if I had to handicap, I'd say that's that's going to be the course of action before the, the rest of the season. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think I think they value Jake Allen for reasons that go beyond goaltending, and that I think that's what would make them reluctant to move on from him and to give Primo the backup job. Uh, mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I think I think what you're suggesting, I think, has a, a good likelihood of happening, but it's. I just know that they really, they really value Jake Allen's presence around their young players, and that's uh, that's a part of his of his cachet that that few players have on the entire team. Frankly, it's it's really mm -hmm. even among the skaters. You know, Sean Monahan is valued for that. Obviously, they brought in Tanner Pearson for that, but Jake Allen's one of those guys too. So, so we'll see. Um, one of those young guys that benefits from the presence of people like that is Justin Barron. And so um, funny little story this morning, Monday morning after the morning skate. Um, so no, go back Saturday morning. Ken Hughes was came out, graced us with his presence to discuss the Sam Montembeau um, contract. And so I decided to ask kind of a more general, like where you feel the team is at question uh, at this point of the season. Funny little backstory to that. We tried to get 
Ken Hughes to talk to us in Columbus and do like a quarter season review. And uh, the Canadian said no. Ken said no. And he happened to run into us before the game. He's like, what is this quarter season review? So I'm not doing quarter season review. I'm like, okay, fine. We tried, you know, whatever. It's, it's okay. It's your prerogative. So when I asked that question, that's why if you watch the press conference, that's why Ken says, I guess this is the quarter season review. That's the backstory to that answer and why he was laughing. But his answer, I thought, was excellent. You know, like, listen, it's the team is what it is. They're not in a, they're not in a position to compete. They want to see progression. And what I found interesting is that, you know, I didn't ask him to name any specific players. He decided to name a specific player and said, if, you know, if I want to look at one player, I would look at Justin Barrett as a guy who's progressed, you know, and I think in an ideal world, Ken Hughes would like that list to be longer. It wasn't an exhaustive list. It doesn't mean he's the only player Ken Hughes thought progressed, but I think there are some players they would have liked to have seen more from to this point this year. Um, Obviously, injuries have played a factor. So, you know, you can't see more from Kirby Doc when he's only played in two games. Or, you know, I think Newhook was trending up when he got hurt. But Justin Barron, uh, when you think of who he was at training camp and how the whole discourse around him, and I think even Ken Hughes mentioning it's someone that he wanted to see more from and wanted to see more of, of a progression. So for him to single him out, I thought was pretty noteworthy. And so I went up to Justin after the morning skate on Monday. I said, hey, did you hear what Ken Hughes had to say about you? And No, did you hear what Kent had to say about you? He's like, Ken? Like, no, Kent, the GM. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, Mr. No, Hughes. I haven't. I hadn't, actually. <laughs> oh, Mr. Hughes. Sorry, I don't, I don't call him Kent. But yeah. um, so no, I, no, I hadn't. So I told him what he said. And a little smile came across his face. And, and, so, and, and was obviously he's flattered. He's like, it's great to hear that obviously great to hear that from someone like him um i suggested that he should he should read the news a little bit more often than he does but anyhow that's besides the point um but the main thing with justin Barron has been his defensive game i think we've talked about this but i've talked to justin about it a lot and you know today I got into it a little bit more and it's really really specific things stick positioning when to attack to kill a play when to physically engage, how to take away time in the defensive zone. And there's a lot of video work that's done. And he mentioned it's even in practice, like Adam Nicholas and Steph Robida in the, right after he does a drill, will point out, okay, there you went there, you should have gone there. Mm-hmm. And in the video sessions, they'll also include clips of him doing the things that they've been working on. And, you know, Martin St. Louis was, was interesting afterwards explaining that and saying that, you know, Everything for him starts from there. That's why they focus on that, because they know the offensive ability. Scored again against Detroit the other night with a really instinctive cut to the net. Like, that wasn't one of the... He has two goals this year where he just got, like, really long rebounds that just landed on his stick randomly. Uh, that wasn't... This wasn't that on Detroit, against Detroit. This was a, a good instinctive play to go to the net, go to an area where a rebound is likely to be, and put it in the back of the net. But you don't do that, and you're not even playing in the offensive zone if you're not doing the things that they're asking him to do in the defensive zone. And the more he does that, the more he gets the puck on his stick, the more the Canadians have possession of the puck, the more the Canadians are playing the offensive zone, and the more he's able to do the things that he's good at in the offensive zone. So, you know, ever since the game 
against the Winnipeg Jets. So a long time ago, I believe that was October 28th, if I'm not mistaken. Justin Barrett has been playing a top four role on this team, whether it was with Kane Gooley or Mike Matheson. He's been a top four defenseman for over a month. And in that time, he basically leads Canadians defensemen in expected goal percentage, in actual goal percentage at five on five. He's second on the team in five on five ice time, just a shade wow. above Mike Matheson. Um, well, because of just the power play time that Matheson gets on the first unit, but still, thir- I think he's 13 seconds ahead of Mike Matheson in five on five ice time since October 28th. He's become an extremely important defenseman for this team. And the guy who was like an afterthought in training camp within a span of three months has become this. So if the Canadians had more stories like Justin Barron, I think this season and the way it's going would be easier to take, Uh, but they don't have that many. And that's, I think a bit of an issue. Absolutely. Cause you see, you see Barron has has improved a great deal. Uh, Caden Gooley has improved there. We've seen improvement from new hook from Slavkovsky also, which we're going to get to in a minute. But mm-hmm. Baron, it's it's just a starting point that makes it that makes the leap forward so significant. Because yeah, when you when you you consider sending the guy down and you just don't want to hit his morale too much and say, well, we'll make sure that he sticks around even as a seventh defenseman. And three months later he's he's playing what as you said, like over 20 minutes a night, no doubt about it. Uh that's a significant leap mm. forward. And they needed that because with David Savard being out with injury, they needed one right-handed shot defenseman to rise to the occasion. And now when you look at the way that ice time and responsibilities are are are, are distributed, he's their de facto number three defenseman right now, which which I would not have pictured. Mm-hmm early on in season. But defensively, I like the fact that he uses his mobility. You know, he doesn't get beaten when the when the other team attacks and they, they you know, they 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 take the blue line. Sometimes they'll have issues still with his with his gap, but I find that he doesn't give the inside very often and he'll position himself to to drag the 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 attacker on the outside and then he'll just follow him you know, around and, and try to contain him closer to the boards. Uh, so just his positioning, he's got a long reach. So his stick work again is, is, is good too. I think for me, the, the biggest adjustment where there's still a great need for, for improvement is when it comes to his decision-making and his, is the fact that he's prone to, uh, to turnovers. And we saw the other night that once again, I mean, he lost a puck and it led to uh to a goal very early on in the third period, the first goal that Caden Primo gave up uh, in that, that very bad third period. Those mistakes happen with Justin Barron. And I think, I mean, I was not there in Florida to watch the first few years of Mike Matheson, but I feel like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a good comparison there between those two guys, the same, the type of challenges that they both have and the same and a similar mm-hmm. skill set. I mean, Barron doesn't have maybe the, the the quality of pivot or the explosiveness that Matheson has, but the decision making, the 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 brain cramps that have to be compensated by really inspired and creative play offensively, that you know, that balance, which Matheson admittedly struggled with early on in his career, that's also what part of what Barron has to deal with now. And he's made such big strides in the I don't, I don't. since the beginning. Yeah, 
I don't think there's as much. Uh, I don't think there's as much natural or inherent risk in Barron's game. Matheson struggled because in the NCAA he was able to take risks and not get burned by them. And that was a big part of who he was as a player. Like, I don't know if the risk taking is as much a part of Barron's identity as it was for Matheson. So it was a real, a real difficult and a real long process for Mike Matheson to get to a place where he has proper risk management. And, and frankly, he's still, he's still finding, he's still trying to find it. You know, he, he goes through periods where he still can't properly evaluate the risk in his game. Um, I think in Justin's case, it's it's more a matter of less so risk and more so um, uh, just mistakes that that young people make. So it's uh, it's it's really it's, yeah, it's talked, somewhat different. I talked about decision making. That's why I think it won't take. Yeah, decision making, but it's yeah, but that's why I'm saying it's different from Matheson in the sense that Matheson actively made those decisions knowing he was taking a risk, whereas. Mm-hmm. Barron's decision making. I don't think he's quite aware of the consequences, and and so it's 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 less conscious of a thing. Which, but I think he's aware of it now, and so maybe he will be able to change that. And so, um, and I think we're seeing him change that. Frankly, he's he's already less mistake prone now than he was in September. I mean, it's sure. really a process that we've we've seen, and so and so. It, the only thing, the only reason I bring that up is just that Mike's process was long and is continuing still to this day uh, as a veteran in the league, and he's he's cognizant of it. Like you know, and it and it and I think I think Justin's won't be as long. Is is kind of what I'm uh, trying to okay. get. Okay. Well, that's anyway. The, you're you're bang on saying that. Uh... We, we we just wish that the Montreal Canadiens players, younger players, had been, you know, in greater number in showing that sort of improvement. But it's been significant for for Barron. And quietly, Slavkovsky also has been uh, has been improving. I think that we get we fall in the trap, you know, because there's so much coverage around the Montreal Canadiens. We dissect things in a very short term span. So we'll what we think is going on. Uh, one day, five days after, because of it's going to be two or three games later, what we've seen ceases, seems to cease to be true, <laughs> you know, within the same week. But at, at, as a bigger picture, even though mm-hmm. Slavkovsky had some some rougher games, uh, his last his last uh, month month and a half has been very encouraging, and the fact that he's been put, uh, you know, to next to Suzuki and Caulfield. To face the Seattle Kraken is is a sign of that. I don't know, you know, to, you might listen to this podcast or watch this podcast uh, after the games against Seattle. We've seen Martin Saint Louis shown very showing very little patience in reuniting the combo of of Monahan with uh, with the Suzuki and and Caulfield pairing. I don't know how patient he's going to be with Slavkovsky, but it's a great opportunity for him. And for all those people who are saying, well, when are they going to give a real shot at their younger players, whether it's Slavkovsky or an improved role for Jesse Olonen, who's been showing good good things, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's, it, it's great that we finally see Slavkovsky earning that chance because, I mean, he's, he's, he played about 10 games with Caulfield on a line that did not involve uh, Suzuki. Uh 
And he was not, he was certainly not, he wasn't the guy on that line that, that looked the worst. And being in a position where he's going to be finally able to, uh, to create and be with the better forwards on this team, it's a huge opportunity for him. And it's, we, who knows, we might see him take off the way we've seen Justin Barron take off uh, in the last month. Yeah, certainly possible. Um, I think his uh, his state of mind is just in a good place. He feels really good about his game. He doesn't make glaring mistakes. And actually, this is a perfect example. So on, on Saturday morning, uh, I don't know if you remember that early in that game against the Panthers, Slavkovsky had a two-on-one break with Cole Caulfield, you know, sprung by Nick Suzuki before he went to change. And the whole time... It was blatantly obvious that Slavkovsky was just looking to pass it to Cole Caulfield. And so, um, he knows he needs to shoot more. Huge defenseman on the Panthers. Well, well, yes and no, because what he needs to do is not make his decision so far in advance. You know, like whether, you know, if he had even looked like he was going to shoot, maybe he gets that pass over, but he didn't look like he was going to shoot. So, he just and he was cognizant. So I asked him about it on Saturday morning, and he kind of laughed a little bit. He's like, "Yeah, that was just a really bad decision." And and it sounds bad. It sounds like he's being hard on himself, but he's saying it in a lighthearted way. It's just like because I spoke to him during the road trip. Because if you watch him play, and he always says, "Everyone says I should shoot more." Everyone says I should shoot more. But you look at him, and and you could tell deep down inside, he's a playmaker. He really wants to make plays for his teammates, and. Yeah. That doesn't mean he shouldn't shoot the puck and he, and he has a good shot, but he, he wants that to be a part of who he is. And so this was a case where he was so hell-bent on getting that pass over to Caulfield that he had already decided before reading what was actually happening in front of him. And, you know, funny, at the end of the conversation, he was like, man, I hope I get, two, I hope I get a couple of two-on-ones tonight so I can shoot. And I was like, well no, you shouldn't. I mean, you got to like wait for it to happen right before you can make a decision. Like you have a lot of data points to consider in making that decision. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I won't shoot. And I'm like, no, that's not, what I'm <laughs> that's, not the point. It, <laughs> that's not the point. Shoot. If it's, you know, and the, God, I'm not, like, I'm not your coach, but I just, I don't want you to start thinking like it's, you know, the, the whole point is that you got to read a situation. And, but you know, when M- Marty talks about him getting reps, that's a that's a rep. Like that two on one was a rep, and even he, he said that he's like, I, you learn from situations like that. And so now, he was so happy to be on a two on one with Cole. Cole's a finisher. Let's get it to my finisher, and that's the only thing I'm going to try to do. Whereas, the more reps he gets in that situation, the more comfortable he feels, the less uh, desperate he'll feel to make something out of it. Because you know, I think it would be to some extent fair to for him to expect like, how many of these do I get? How many two-on-ones do I get with Cole Caulfield? I better, I better nail this. I better set him up for a goal. Whereas when it becomes more normal, you can make an instinctive hockey play and kind of just trust your instincts and trust what you, who you are as a hockey player, um, to make the right decision, whether that's shoot or pass or, or whatever, deke or something else. You know, just survey yeah, the landscape. Yeah, and make but when you're hell bent on 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 passing. You you position your body in a way that the the defenseman reads it. Well, that's it. And and then he'll yeah. he'll stop that pass. You know, so you have to keep the opponent guessing. Yeah. Yeah, so. and that's but that again, the, that's like the 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 point being that 
Because again, Slavkovsky today brought up uh, the move, you know, his move that he used in Europe a lot. That, uh, you know, the, the curl off the boards, drive the puck to the middle and shoot from the slot, um, where mainly when he was on the right wing. So he could be on the left side, bring it on his forehand into the slot and fire it. Brought it up randomly Monday morning. Um, still not something he's doing, but that's, you know, I asked Marty about it. And I'm like, I, I feel like there's still some caution in his game in the offensive zone. And Marty disagreed with you word caution. He said what he has is hesitancy. He hesitates from time to time because he has not been in those situations often enough at the NHL level. But the more touch, this is why I keep focusing on touches because the more touches he gets, the more those situations will become normal to him and he won't have that hesitancy. So let's see. Let's see how long it lasts. Listen, last game on Saturday, you know, Marty kind of admitted that the plan at the beginning of the season was that when Dvorak came back, Monaghan would move to the wing with Caulfield and Suzuki, and it lasted two periods. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But there's definitely – and the other key component of what Martin said was that, you know, he has no concern about Uri Slavkovsky's defensive game or his game away from the puck when facing the matchups that he's going to face with Nick and Cole. Um, you know, he did this for a couple of games, obviously put him up there with in St. Louis when Slav scored his first of the year, coming off two horrendous games in Arizona and Vegas. Um, but let's see if he gets a good runway to work with, uh, with Suzuki and Caulfield now, because as you remember, when Uri got, when Slavkovsky got drafted, they put his jersey in the Canadian's dressing room next to Caulfield and Suzuki's. So it was clearly a message from day one sent by this organization that we envision you playing with these two guys. Um, so give it a chance, you know, and if it doesn't go that well yeah. against Seattle, then come back with it and let him, let him, let him get a little bit of a run here and see what they can do. Well, he's got, yeah, he's got a size element that certainly would, would help that line. Uh, he's a guy, Marty mentioned the fact that he's winning most of his battles, uh, his board battles, mm -hmm. which is, uh, which is something also that this line could use. And, you know, so he's got certain elements to his game that are comparable to Josh Anderson. And that's why at first there was such a long experiment of Anderson with those two guys. But the difference is that Slavkovsky, I believe, in time with experience will show a much better hockey sense than Anderson has. And that's something that, you know, playing with, with players of that caliber will, uh, will give him the opportunity to showcase it. And his defensive game is still uneven, but he has not exposed himself, you know, in making very bad routes or very bad coverage at the same rate mm -hmm. that he did maybe in the first, I would say, seven or eight games where at that point it was so blatant, so obvious uh, that uh, he was, he seemed more like a liability than he Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, well, I think Marty put uh, it perfectly Monday. I think Marty put it perfectly Monday morning when he said he's not, his defensive game is not perfect, but for a 19-year-old, I'd say it's pretty darn good. You know, it's like it's 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 it, all things considered under the circumstances, his defensive game has made great strides um, to the point where, you know, it was the point where Marty made the move he did on Monday. Yeah. Okay, let's move to uh, let's move to the mailbag because we have uh, a lot of questions, and uh, I'll say that, thank you so much for sending so many questions. There are some questions in there that were very big picture questions that uh, you know that touched on on the development plan for the Canadians over many years, uh, their chance of 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 succeeding in their rebuild and what needs to happen, and so there were various questions to that effect. So what we're going to do is that those questions, we're all going to bundle them up and use them to make our to uh, to make our Friday episode out of it. So uh, this is going to be like a specific we'll be future topic. Friday. Well, that's it. It's it's a future Friday for the whole organization. Exactly. <laughs> that's yes, right. And exactly. not just one about <laughs> one player. Um, but let's get started since we've... So since we're discussing... Uh, Uh, Slavkovsky playing on the first line against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, there is Josh Danzuran who's asking, in your opinion, what is the ideal lineup? How would you construct the roster with all the injuries? So basically, the Canadians right now have 13 forwards. How would you build your lines in an ideal world, Arpin Besu? I'll let you go first and I'll go after. Well, the, the top line would be what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Caulfield, Suzuki, Slavkovsky. Um, I, I see a lot of people um, frustrated with with how much patience Martin St. Louis is showing Josh Anderson. But I gotta say, I gotta I, I gotta agree with it. Um, I, he's he's too he's too impactful of a player. Obviously, he has his faults for sure. But when he's when he's confident and when he's he can contribute in a way that I think you have to you have to work to get him out of this slump. And I don't think you do that by putting him on the fourth line. So I like the idea of Monaghan with Anderson. It's going to be Jake Evans against Seattle. I would put Jesse Ulin in there personally, um, and then have uh, Pearson, Evans, and Gallagher, and okay. get that Evans Gallagher pairing going um and then have armia stevens who am i forgetting forgetting someone uh yeah you are because there's uh well you didn't you didn't didn't you put dvorak somewhere oh yeah i gotta put dvorak somewhere so yeah so i would put ah so maybe i'll go pearson dvorak gallagher And then Evans, Armia, and Pez or Stevens, I'm pretty ambivalent about. I'd go Pez, actually. Okay. I'd take Stevens okay. out. So yeah. Pearson, Dvorak, Gallagher is a line that, that we're going to see on Monday night. Uh, personally, yeah, Caulfield, Suzuki, Slavkowski, I think that 
considering the fact that they lost Newhook for 10 to 12 weeks, uh, this is something that they, uh, it's, it's an experiment worth doing. Uh, I like that Monaghan and Evans together. It's a great opportunity for Evans uh, to showcase a bit more offensive ability. Um, but I would switch Anderson and Gallagher and have Gallagher on that second line because uh, it's nothing against Anderson. But to me, Gallagher has still a chance to be Brendan Gallagher when he plays with Evans, less so than when he plays with Dvorak. Whereas Anderson, I don't think right now, whoever he plays with is much of a factor. I think that he just needs to find himself. And after that, put him on the line and he's going to contribute wherever he is. But I think it's just a matter of finding his groove and be, uh, his groove and be Josh Anderson. And anyway, he's never been, you know how a lot of coaches and Marty's no different. They like to create duos before they create lines. Well, Anderson's always been the complimentary guy on his line. He's never been part necessarily of a duo. Mm -hmm. So I would have Monaghan, Evans, and Gallagher. Then I would put Ulonen in a slightly more offensive role. I would do Ulonen, Dvorak, Anderson as a third line. And then I would do mm -hmm. Pearson, Stephens, and Army as a fourth line. That's that's how I would roll. So, but okay. you know... It, It's it's uh, and for now Pizzetta might be the odd man out, the easy guy to take out, as Saint Louis says. But uh, yeah, you know Armia, Armia and, and Ulonen have been playing very good hockey. Ulonen, uh, Armia is, is Armia, I think, has played. I don't know how many games he's played so far uh, since since his late latest comeback, but I feel like more than half of his games, you look at him and say, "Oh, that's that's good. That's good Armia right there." You know. That's a, uh, and so yeah. you, you have to count on the, when, when he's giving you that sort of hockey, he needs, he needs to play. And sometimes he can be legitimately playing higher in the lineup than on the fourth line. But if you have him on, on the fourth line with Pearson and Stephens, that'd be good. But tonight uh, it's, it's with Ulonen. Um, and, you know, Pizzetta has to wait his turn. But it, I think that having, Uh, called up Mitchell Stephens, probably another uh, reason for you to owe me a beer. Uh, Mitch, having him called up, well, it enables uh, the teams to keep for to keep Smonahan um, uh, in the uh, on the wing, and you know have create more flexibility because you can you can have a second line that's going to be defined by a higher percentage on the face-off, you know, having Monaghan on one side and Evans on the other, you try just to make sure that you start the puck as much as possible. So that second line uh, would benefit from that. I guess that's part of the logic behind it. So um, next question is regarding um, Arbor Jackai, whom the Canadians, as we're recording this, uh, just took off IR and loaned to the Laval Rocket on a conditioning stint or well loaned him to the Laval rocket. So didn't actually yeah. specify it as a conditioning stint, but I think you can fairly read it that way. Um, so, you know, I think Jaden Struble has been playing well. So we have Charles 66 on X and Marco Laporte, who both had questions on this. Charles had a question that I want to address with the emergence of Struble and the eventual return of the injured D. Would you see management trying Arbor Jackai at the forward position? Now this is something a lot of people seem to think is like a viable solution in the national hockey league. Oh, Lane Hudson is too small to play Visa, play, play forward, whatever. Think 
to yourselves how often this happens in the NHL. If it were so easy to do that, if it were so easy to just go from playing defense and being a defenseman your whole life to suddenly in the best league in the world, go change position and be an effective forward, then you would see it more often. And it's pretty rare. It doesn't happen very often. And so the reason for that is, you know, I mean, if you've ever seen Moneyball and the whole, you know, Billy Bean trying to convince Scott Hatterberg that he can play first base at the big league level and trying to say that it's easy and having, I think, was it Ron Washington that's next to him? And I mean, Ron Washington said, no, it's incredibly hard. Yes, it's incredibly hard because <laughs> you don't just go from catcher to first, you don't just go from catcher to first base at the major league level. Well, in the same sense, you don't just go from defense to forward and forward to defense at the NHL level. It's, it's, if it were that easy, I think there are a lot of players who you'd be like, you know, with Kale McCars coming up, you're like, yeah, you'd be a pretty good center. Let's just put you at center. Okay. I've played defense my whole life. But sure. I'll play center now. So I think this, this notion for any defenseman, it, that that dog oh, just put him on the wing make arbor jack guy a fourth line winger it doesn't really fly because it's it's yeah. hard it's a really difficult transition to make and and to make it in the at the nhl level would be even more difficult so i think this is a notion that a lot of fans need to get out of their head that that this is something that's 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 a potential solution to something um because more often than not it's not no switching switching positions like that This is something that Scotty Bowman tried in Detroit on a few occasions in the 90s. Let's remember that Mathieu Dandeneau uh, went from being a winger to being a defenseman. Uh, Sergei Fedorov mm -hmm. had some games where he played defense, but it's a rare, rare yeah. occurrence. I mean, you have, I mean, in the last 10, 12 years, obviously you have Dustin Bufflin who made the switch, uh, and he would go from one position to another, especially in Chicago, not in Winnipeg, but in Chicago. Uh, Brent Burns went from being a winger to being a defenseman. But apart from that, you mm -hmm. know, Luke Witkowski, journeyman, NHL journeyman, but mostly an AHL guy, makes the switch. And that makes him still relevant in, in professional hockey because he can do both. But he doesn't do either very well. So he has a hard time sticking in the NHL. And uh, and I think of Nicolas Delaurier. Yeah. I think of Nicolas Delaurier, who was a defenseman in the LA Kings organization very early on in his career and was promoted as a winger. But this is this happens so rarely. You cannot move them around like, you know, like 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 pawns on, on in a game. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't think that it's going to happen either with Arbor Jackai. I think that Jackai has all the tools to be an effective defenseman and be. And probably the Canadians have more use for that type of guy on defense, winning his battle, creating an intimidating presence in the back end rather than on the four check and just hitting guys in the corners when you're deep in the other end. They, they're going to continue to invest time with this guy uh, on defense. So it's just, it's just a matter of being patient. And the other part of that, and I'll switch directly to the other question about Jacky, Marco Laporte is asking how with how well Struble is playing right now, does it affect Arbor Jacky, his role on the abs defense? And what do you think about both progression? Um, again, it's not because there's a new guy in town, Struble, that all of a sudden Jacky is old news. After a little after a little while. Jack Eli was not having the best start to his season 
and with a fully healthy decor, he might have been sent back to the, to Laval. So we'll see how long he stays there. But Struble has been called up with three guys missing on the blue line, and he's barely playing 11 minutes a night. Uh, uh, for certain stretches of games, they play five Ds, and he's just used sparingly and not with in a very easy to understand matter of when he's being thrown out there. It's hard to really understand. But so he's proving to be a depend, a, an interesting prospect, interesting younger defenseman, and he might be part of the equation at some point. But in a healthy lineup, Struba is going to be sent back down. And it's just one more good guy to have. So before thinking, oh, we have a seventh defenseman that's available. So let's, let's cut one of the top six. That's not how it works. You need to have tons and tons of defensemen available. It's good to, to, from him to see that he's that he belongs, that he can help. But I mean, it's it's going to be a matter of days or at most weeks before Jakai takes his position back. Strubles is sent down, and one day, if we have both of them in the lineup, it's going to make the Canadians bigger, meaner, and uh, and they'll be happier for it. Yeah, and one thing I would add on Struble is that what's what's become clear, and I agree with you 100% that he's, he will go back to Laval. If it's between him and Jack Guy, Struble will probably find himself back in Laval. Um, but what's become clear to me, at least, is that Struble's game is better suited to the professional game than it was the NCAA. I yeah. think the Canadians yeah. had some questions about how he was kind of finishing up at Northeastern and... and And whether he could make this transition, um, if you remember, you know, he, he, he played all four years. There was some question as to whether he would sign. But anyhow, it's, it's it, you're seeing now, and you saw it as soon as he arrived in Laval last season, that the professional style of game is, uh, is just better for him. So that's a good sign for the Canadians because, you know, relatively high draft pick. I thought, it, you know, the luster had come off him as a prospect because of sort of the underwhelming kind of results uh, in college sometimes. Uh, but, you know, with a well, in a well-structured environment where physicality is valued more, um, he, he looks like, he looks like a more viable prospect. Yeah. And it's, it's going to, um, his physicality is something that he'll have to, to develop and understand at the pro level because he's not the bigger, biggest guy, you know, he's a great athlete and he seems like a strong kid, but he's not, he's not huge. He's not, he's no Arbor Jack guy in terms of frame. So if he wants to make physicality like a key component of his game, there's going to be an adjustment needed. So, and I think that there's still mm -hmm. untapped offensive part to his game that uh, that we might be seeing uh, later on probably more in Laval than in Montreal but there's uh we we've seen a lot of defensemen uh joining the rush and and just jumping in the play from time to time while he's doing it too uh he's being careful to not getting burned because because he's already playing less than the others he doesn't want to sit even more than that but he's been you can uh, you see that he sees the play he reads the play in and He's eager to jump in when he can. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's do oh, one more. Let's do yeah. one more question. Um, so we had one uh, on an email question. Um, 
sent to basuengodet at gmail.com. Uh, from Eric Toth, who described himself as a longtime listener, first-time emailer. So thank you for the email, Eric. Um, question. In the past, you both listed some young players that Canadians would like to target should they become available to follow the new hook, Gurianov and Kirby Doc trend, which I think you're good to put Gurianov in that group, even though it didn't work out. Uh, these are really smart targeted trades, but I wonder, are there any high-impact impending free agents out there one to three years away that you both think would be realistic for Montreal? Is there an ideal player in your minds that our cap could allow for? And is it in the team's overall plans to pounce on something top-end and a little older through free agency or trade to bring this team into focus? So maybe this actually would have fit on our Friday episode a little better because it is part of sort of a long-term thing, but... Um, I could I could answer that question more generally that there is a window in which the Canadians believe that they will be able to go after a player like that. Like let's say a William Nylander if he were to reach market this year, or and you know, an Elias Pedersen at some point if things although things are trending pretty well in Vancouver, and I would imagine that they would do everything in their power to keep him, as as same as the case with with Nylander, but when an opportunity like that arises, I don't think the Canadians feel they're that far away from being able to add a piece like that. Maybe not this coming offseason, but I think starting with the offseason after that, they won't I don't think they'll over over extend themselves or, or or desperately go out and sign someone just for the sake of signing someone, but they will be better financially prepared to do something like that. Um probably one one off season from from the next one so two off seasons from now right uh so you're saying they're going after leon dressout <laughs> i mean i'm just i'm just saying that's I'm that's kidding. the way they're they're trying to set up their their cap well i mean christ yeah. if, i mean if he gets if, if he becomes available like would you would you not go after leon i mean it's like it's but For it's sure. a matter of being sure. able to sign him and having the money to do it. And so that's what yeah. I think the hope is, is that within two off seasons, they should be in a place where they could potentially have that kind of money available to go after a player mm-hmm. like that. I'm not saying that particular player, but that scenario is, is I think, something that they see coming into focus. You know, the equivalent of Jeff Gordon's Artemi Panarin acquisition. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. what... And it's the not kind of it's not mutually it's not mutually exclusive with the moves that saw them acquire Doc and Newhook because when you talk about making uh, making the financial space to acquire a, a top five free agent, well, the gamble on Doc and the gamble on Newhook is a way for them to acquire potential top six talent or top six talent. And having them mm-hmm. sign for multiple years at a rather low number. Like Doc was already a bargain. And I think that New Hook will prove to be at some point during his deal. So if you're able to get ta- young talent without paying too, too big a price to acquire them, and then you sign them for a medium to long-term deal, be- somewhat below market value, then you free up some space to acquire you know, your tough life free agent, but it's got to arrive at this at the right point. And you need to have sufficient 
uh, progression signs from all of the other uh, all the other guys in the organization, so that you feel like this one guy that's missing is not going to be your entire strategy. That he's going to be the missing piece, but he's not going to be what makes everything coherent, what makes everything lift. So uh, you've got to see improvements in all the other areas before they choose to spend all that money on one guy. We'll see if it happens uh, eventually. I don't think that this summer is it. Uh, so Nylander, I, I really doubt it. But the year after, yeah, that, that becomes a lot more probable in my mind. Okay, well, great. Well, thanks everyone for sending uh, in your questions. And as we mentioned, uh, Friday episode will be devoted to, because I think there were a lot of interesting questions about something like this. You know, what are the next two, three, five years look like for the Canadians? So we'll just do a whole episode on that on Friday. And also touch on, obviously, how the Canadians week goes. But um, yeah, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.